Hey everybody, and welcome to the Dry Life Podcast, a podcast for the alcohol-free lifestyle and sober curious. I'm Kayla Lyons. And I'm Beth Bowen. We're so glad y'all are here. Now let's get started. All right, guys, today we have a super special guest. You may know her from her Instagram, Therapy for Women, Amanda. Hey. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Of course. I'm glad we finally got to connect. Yes. Uh, <laughs> the struggle on the other side of the podcast. Absolutely. Especially different time zones. <laughs> oh, yes. So, Amanda, for anybody who may not be following you on Instagram, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about your Instagram and what you do, and then a little bit about your personal you know, recovery and sobriety journey? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the funny thing is one leads into the other. Um, So yeah, for me, I've been sober for about six and a half years now, almost seven. And I was someone who just, you know, I was someone who upon my first drink really had the feeling that this was what was missing from my life. Mm -hmm. Um, I grew up moving a lot. I went to two different elementary schools, middle schools, and high schools. Um, So I really struggled with friends growing up. And I had a lot of feelings like I didn't fit in. There was something wrong with me. Um, And when I found alcohol in high school, I felt like, wow, you know, this is like friends in a bottle. This Mm -hmm. allows me to just be this better version of myself. I'm more funny. I'm, you know, I'm more relaxed. I had a lot of social anxiety um, and I loved it. And, you know, I always say, I think that for a lot of us, alcohol worked really well until it didn't. And um, I also struggled with an eating disorder throughout high school and beyond. And those two, you know, my alcohol use and my eating disorder really intersected and overlapped. And um, I think allowed me to not take like I like my eating disorder. I knew I had an eating disorder. Like it was clear to me. I was bulimic and it was clear Mm -hmm. to me that like that wasn't normal. But drinking, everyone drank. Everyone got too drunk. Um, So that never felt like it was there was a problem with it. And I think it really allowed me um, they fed into each other because, you know, like I wouldn't um, I wouldn't eat before I would go out drinking. You know, I would then get sick if I was out drinking or whatever. I also had a stint of getting addicted to Adderall, Mm. mostly because it helped me not eat and it took away my appetite. So, right. Like all those things intersected for sure. And it just continued to get worse. And I, you know, I had a really rough breakup in college that just really sent me over the edge with everything. And I was super depressed and, um, my drinking kept escalating And I was lucky that, you know, I graduated college, although I didn't have very many friends left when I graduated. Mm -hmm. I was not a good roommate and wasn't somewhat, you know, I it got to the point where while I wasn't my drinking didn't seem that different from other people, the consequences of my drinking were much more severe than other people. I drove drunk. um, I got into a car accident. Um, I would do things like leave the door unlocked where, you know, and 
leave the oven on and things like that, which were dangerous. So um, by the time I graduated college, um, I was, you know, I didn't have a lot of friends. I started going to therapy. I'd been in therapy pretty much the whole time, but I didn't, I wasn't honest with therapists. I was very worried about being judged. Um, I really felt like therapy was just, if I showed up, I would get better. Like I didn't understand the concept that I had to like put in work. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> so I was lucky after I graduated college that <clears throat> I found a therapist who was open about her own struggle. And um, she shared, you know, on her bio that she was in recovery. And that really changed things for me because for the first time I was able to be authentic and honest about what I was going through. And um, I worked with her for a few years and I was also in grad school at this time and was drinking, but never was really sure if I definitely had a problem or not. But I kept relapsing in my eating disorder when I would go out drinking. And mm -hmm. as the years progressed, I started to recognize I was in like group with people who didn't drink, who were like, you know, called themselves alcoholics and in recovery. And I started to realize more and more how much my drinking behavior sounded like theirs. Yep. And I started to get more and more freaked out. I tried to mm -hmm. do like a 30 day, you know, stop and couldn't do it, lied about being able to do it. And um, the rock bottom for me, or at least, you know, I'm, I think it's an rock bottom is an interesting concept because I think while this was new for me, there were so many rock bottoms, potentially yeah. some that were lower, but this just happened to be the time that I woke up and decided to pay attention. I uh, drank for the last time on Labor Day and 2014 and i um taught yoga drunk in the morning i was a yoga teacher yes. and um <laughs> i was mortified because at the time like yoga was like i thought it like saved me it was like the most important thing in my life i was mortified and um i was lucky that i had friends like i said who didn't drink and you know, I called them up and said, I think I have a problem. And um, I just could see the path it was headed. I could see how much like I could not be a therapist and be doing that. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't drink after that. It was interesting with I told my parents or friends, I, you know, I went to AA to start and I used the word alcoholic and people were very like, you're not an alcoholic. What are you talking about? Especially my parents. They were very confused, very worried for me didn't were worried that if I said that I would never get married, I would never have friends. Yeah. Um, but you know, obviously that wasn't the case. That was their stuff. And um, it's amazing. I mean, it's the best thing that I've ever done now. And um, I don't go to meetings anymore really, but it was an important part of my recovery to begin with. And it really gave me the format to, meet people, especially young people and make friends, which was so important for me, that support network. And, um, you know, I'm so grateful now there are things like this, there are podcasts, there's social media. I mean, I remember when I was getting sober, I would like Google sober celebrities to try to like, yeah. feel better about myself. Cause I couldn't imagine like my biggest fear was if I got sober, I wouldn't be cool. I wouldn't have friends. I would just be like a loser. And um, it's completely turned out to be the opposite 
of that. Yeah, um, it's it's changed yeah. so much, right? In the last five six years, I feel like when we say that, we sound so old. Like I know, in my, in my day, <laughs> five years ago. <laughs> But yeah, it's really a different landscape now, um, which is awesome. So yeah, and I, you know, I graduated from uh, my master's degree. I went on and I um, got a job at a rehab. I worked there for a few years before getting my license. And um, I started my private practice after that. And I was very on it. Like I, from the start, disclosed that Mm -hmm. I was in recovery and, um, You know, I was inspired by that therapist who I originally saw, and I really felt like, you know, it might not be for everyone. Everyone might not want to see me, but the right people will. And um, the response was amazing. I just kind of kept growing and started hiring people and hiring other therapists who had the same philosophy as me of being open about their struggles and Mm -hmm. having been in recovery themselves. And um, we specialize really in like the overlap of different issues. We specialize, like I specifically specialize in the overlap of substance use and eating disorders, but Mm -hmm. um, we have a psychiatrist, we have a nutritionist, we have a couples therapist, we have a lot of therapists who specialize in different things. And our goal is to give you full wraparound, any care and support that you would want so that you don't have to hop from therapist to therapist. Cause that was something I experienced growing up that was really frustrating. You know, you make progress with someone and then they say, well, you have to go see a trauma therapist and well, you have to go see a psychiatrist. So we try to treat everyone holistically. I love that. And it's cool how your kind of, so to speak, your mess became your message, right? Because if you had not kind of gone through all of that, who knows if you had, I mean, do you think that you chose your profession because of you know, having to deal with what you did? Oh, 100%. 100%. I mean, I promised myself actually when I was in the depths of, I was very lost when I graduated college. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I felt like, I mean, it's funny. I was like, I'll sign up for grad school to be a therapist because, or I originally was like, maybe I'll do something with like, just, I don't know, psychology more, like not therapy specifically. Yeah. And I was like, you know, because it's like easy and you just have to be nice to be a therapist is what I, what I thought. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, and, you know, as I had a, that amazing experience with my therapist, I really was struggling. I struggled so much and was so, you know, just got such a deep appreciation for the work. And I told myself that if I made it out and I got into recovery, that I would do the same thing that she did for me. I would be open about my struggles because they're at the time, there were not many therapists that were honest um, about having struggled in any capacity. And I really felt like that was missing. So I 100% wouldn't have probably done it um, without getting into recovery. Yeah, it is crazy to think now that I look back on my own. We have actually very parallel stories. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I grew up uh, moving around a lot. I was a State Department brat. So I I think it definitely creates this sense of like detachment. Yeah. And even now I still like, you know, at 28, it's like, it's hard for me to get super close to people just out of habit. Cause you're like, well, you Mm -hmm. know, moving, moving, or, you know, uh, it's hard for me to also like, I feel like root down in places Mm -hmm. like 
permanently. Like even though like the the house my boyfriend and I are in now, we'll probably we'll be in it until we like buy our first home. Mm-hmm. It's still you know I'm. I, I subconsciously think, you know, I don't put things up on the wall and I, <laughs> I really don't, you know, like kind of burrow because I'm so used to just, all right, this is temporary. Let's move forward. And then I think that almost like I'm never a hundred percent comfortable yeah where, where I'm at, even in my own home. And it's funny because I feel like, it, and you know, therapists say that to have said this to me or other people and they're like, you know, what, what's your like safe space? Um, I've done that in groups and everyone's like, oh, you know, my bedroom, my bed, all this stuff. And I'm always like my therapist's office, uh, like that for me is the consistent mm. thing that that feels safe and at home. But what I really, you know, wanted to talk about with your story in particular, and I feel like we haven't talked about on the dry life before is like the comorbidity of eating disorders and substance abuse, because, yeah. you know, I myself have been in recovery for about it'll be five years next month. And so our timelines are are similar, you know. Yeah. I got sober, I got sober through AA. There wasn't really any other options for young people anyways. And, you know, I did I did AA too and uh, you know, it worked until it didn't work. And, yeah. you know, I kind of had to create my own space, which I did similar to you know, to you. You uh I, I dropped out of college and I, I decided to work in the space that I was trying to work at the time, which was public relations. And and I kind of discovered that I had like zero interest in actually doing that. Uh, it was just the easiest uh, my like major that I could find at my school. Yeah. When I was partying. So I was like, hmm, okay, like communications, like not to not to hate on anybody who chooses communications, but I've learned so much more, like totally off topic, but I've learned so much more being in the workspace than I ever did in school. Um, but yeah, back, back, to, back to being on topic. Um, <laughs> I just, um, you know, throughout the years, I'd say probably being in a space, because I went to rehab in 2015, mm-hmm. but I didn't actually get sober until 2016. So I had like what is now known, I would say, right, as like the sober curious phase. Yeah. Like, I know that I probably need to reevaluate my relationship but I'm not really ready to like break up yet. So, you know, throughout that year and since then in the last six years, I guess, I've met a lot of people and I would say like particularly women who have not only like, a you know, a recovering substance abuse disorder, but also a recovering eating disorder. And I never categorized myself as somebody who had an ED specifically just because I never restricted really my food that much. And, um, you know, I've, I've definitely binged and purged, but it was never like a regular enough occurrence for me to think that this might be an issue or it was, yeah. um, you know, I was kind of teetering on the outside of the, of the spectrum, so to speak. But recently I've really been diving in it with my current therapist and it almost seems like, because I'm dealing with a lot of stress right now, I'm turning to like disordered eating Mm -hmm. and other like bad behaviors in that realm. Because to me, like I have zero interest in picking up a drink. Like I kind of had my phase last year where I tried it a couple times to see if it's something I wanted to, to be mindful about. And it just was not interesting to me. And so 
now I, I've come across this like totally new phase, which I think, like you said, is very weird for somebody when you think I'm like, oh, I'm so healed. You know, I, I've been sober for this long and I'm, I must have some sense of having my shit together. Uh, and then I'm sitting here like, fuck, like I, maybe I don't, maybe in this area I do, right? Like maybe I, I have that figured out, but then I'm clearly still searching for something else because I'm over here and I just got off the depo shot, which made me gain a ton of weight, COVID, you know, yeah. it was like all these things. And then my dumbass decided it was a good idea to go to the gym and get my like body fat percentage tested, <laughs> which like I should have known better too, because I actually did modeling when I was younger, mm. like lifestyle and catalog stuff. But this was before the body positive movement and before right. being, you know, all, all sizes were, you know, no, this was like, yeah. you know, you're, you're a double zero or you're fat. And even when I was a double zero, I'd have people being like, well, you know, like, can you lose another five pounds? For the shoot? Yeah. And even though I never purposely, I think, you know, when you, and, and I could be totally wrong, right? Like you're probably the person to talk about it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like I never, you know, went out of my way to not eat. Um, I had this very distorted image of myself and of other women. And this is something that I, I'm coming to terms with now. And my therapist It's like, am I fat phobic? Like, not in the sense that I dislike fat people or or anything that I think that sometimes it's stereotyped as, but mm-hmm. I'm like afraid to be overweight or I'm afraid yeah. to be bigger because I've been a certain size my entire life. And now, you know, I'm getting a little older, you know, your body's changing, your metabolism yeah. is slowing down and we all just survived a pandemic. Like I have to remind myself of that, right? Like yeah. we just survived a pandemic people. So you, you know, if you gained weight, if you relapsed, if you did anything, like we're not giving, we're not having kind of handing out free passes a little here. Right. Like, and I think like beating yourself up does, does the opposite of totally. ever. So to me, I'm always just like, if you want to change, if you want to get well, I don't care if you think you deserve to not beat yourself up, don't do it because it'll make changing harder. Yeah. But it, what, what, what was crazier, what I've been kind of racking over in my brain, right, is this idea that, and, and I think sometimes it, it worries me with the Instagram community because mm-hmm. there's a narrative that goes out that's like, sobriety super glamorous, it's awesome, it's fun, it's amazing, do it, which is true, but also, you know, it's not going to solve all your problems, you're going to have to do the work, and yeah. it, it's going to reveal a lot of other problems that you've been, yeah. you know, like hiding under the alcohol. So just like be prepared. Um, and I feel like that's not really talked enough about. And so we have all these people getting sober, which is awesome. But then they're really confused when life kind of smacks them in the face with whatever it was that they were drinking over. And for me, it's like, I'm still kind of, you know, uprooting things five years later of like, oh, that's there. That's yeah. nice. Uh, let's, I guess we can work on this. Um, but it, it's, it's a constant, I I think this is what it really meant to me now when, when AA says like, you know, you have to work on it every day. Like to me, it was it, I didn't really get that. I was like, well, I don't have to think about my sobriety any day, (laughs) every day anymore. But I do in a sense have to do a lot of preventative things and constant 
you know, self transfer, like transformative work or, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, or I do find myself falling into other bad habits, which seemingly seems to be, you know, disordered eating, over-exercising, purging. Um, and I, I feel like a lot of other women in the sober space have had similar experiences. Absolutely. I mean, when you look at, cause I've done some research on this and, and spoken about this in academic settings. And I mean, the research is kind of staggering. If you look at it, it is, and this is just, by the way, includes like diagnosable. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like up to 50% of people wow. who have a substance use disorder have some type of um, eating disorder. It's very, very high. There's a lot of overlap. That's, yeah, that's, that's a massive number. Yeah. And I think it like echoes with what you were saying, what I would, I mean, I saw this when I worked in treatment. I mean, it was shocking to me and it's wild to me too, because working in treatment, um, they're very like, we don't touch addiction or we don't touch eating disorders, you know? And it's like, well, every, like so many people had eating disorders. I mean, even if you don't qualify or you have quote unquote eating disorders, if you think about the nature of food you think about so often i would see people would end up be you know realizing that they had an eating disorder before they got into drugs or alcohol and then it was buried under that or then they gain weight when they get sober you know or stop using and then they want to go back to it i mean there's like the saddest line that's such a cliche in recovery communities is like i would rather be um uh i would rather be um fat and um using than like skinny or sorry i would rather be skinny and using than fat and sober yeah i've seen that yeah and i and i get the mindset right i mean it's very kate moss of them you know nothing nothing feels better than skinny which in a sense i i get it like and it is it's screwed up how a lot of us think i know like for me when i'm really anxious i don't eat which is I think a lot the opposite for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And so I, I've gone through like bouts of really bad panic disorder where I've lost mm-hmm. like 20 pounds. And there have been times that I've like set myself up in anxious situations knowing that it's going to make me not eat. So yeah. it, it's crazy how, what we'll do to ourselves, like the self-harm that we'll inflict. Like you said, you know, you picked up an Adderall habit, you know, right. probably not because you really needed Adderall, but right. I, I think about that with cigarettes sometimes too. Like yeah. my, my anxiety brain takes me all the way to like, well, if you wanted to maybe pick up vaping, like maybe that would yeah. help you lose a couple pounds right now. I'm like, that's disgusting, Kayla. What the fuck? And I'm like, yeah, but you know, it's not cigarettes and everyone's <laughs> doing it, you know? Do. <laughs> Yeah, like, and it's, it's crazy how your brain just takes you there so fast and validates that. And you got to be like, whoa, 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 back it up. Like, yeah, absolutely. But it ties, this totally ties into something that I was trying to explain to my boyfriend, failed. Uh, <laughs> explain to my my therapist who, who got it, you know, probably because he's a therapist. But, um, you know, and I was like, man, like, it re- this is also tied into just being a woman. Yeah. Like, and I was like, especially like, I live in Orange County, California. So like, this is probably yeah. like, land of the beautiful people. Everybody here, like you go to the grocery store or you go to like the gas station and 
the women here look like dressed to the nines. They have their boobs done, their lips done, their eyelashes. And that's not the look for everybody. Like that's not the look for me, but I, I got to give it to them. They always look great. And, it, <laughs> and, and, but, but I live in a bubble, right? Yeah. And I think a lot of people who live in major cities also experience this. Like it doesn't have to be maybe plastic surgery, but just appearance mm-hmm. matters so much. And you get sucked in to this idea, you know, and I think it's happening. Luckily, it's less, I think a little bit less maybe for the next generation. And it's getting maybe a little bit better. But um, like I was, I was telling him, you know, I maybe now have the have the body type that like younger girls want, right? Like, it's cool to be thick, or curvy, you know, like, that's what people want now. I was like, when I was, you know, and when I was once again, like elder millennial here <laughs> 10 years ago, not that long ago, uh, it was cool to look like Chris Antlin. Yeah. And be like super fucking thin. And I was like, it's how have I not unlearned that? Like I've done so much other work on my drinking, on my like temper, on a lot of other things. And yet I was like, all right, here's another thing that I like haven't even really, you know, thought of until I, I'm in the situation where I'm like, wow, I'm at the highest weight I've ever been and I'm not super comfortable with my body. But at the same time, like there are women going and getting plastic surgery so they can have a, a huge butt and I have a huge yeah. butt. Like what what's going on here? What am I missing? And it's like, no, 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 this is this is society, dude. It's not you and I and I gaslight myself. Yeah. Yeah. Do you do that? Absolutely. And I think too about what you were saying too about just like fat phobia and stuff like our culture is unbelievably fat phobic. Totally. So it's just like baked in to, I think, like everything. And I often think about the overlap of diet culture and alcohol culture and how when you boil it down to what, right, they're both industries, they're both selling us something. And when you look at that overlap, it's both, both of those cultures are telling us that we're not enough. We're not good enough. We're not cool enough. We're not pretty enough. We're not whatever enough. Right. And if you lose weight and change your body, or if you drink this, that everyone else is drinking, or you buy this, right. Whether it's plastic surgery, whether it's clothes, you will be loved. You will be accepted. You will be happy. Yeah. So it's like, buy it, right? Like, yeah. How could we not? But it, yeah. it's, 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 I mean, it's fucked up, but, and this is where I think I, I just did like a, a press interview and they were, they were talking about, you know, how, how, what's my opinion on like alcohol marketing to the LGBTQIA plus community. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, well, you know, it's completely unethical. And I was like, and I, but I think in a sense, so many industries have crossed that line. Of like when, especially when you work in the marketing and advertising space, you know, you don't obviously take like a, you know, you're not sworn into doing no harm, which maybe we we should, but there's a line that, that, uh, you know, you learn about, which is like an ethics line of like, all right, well, you know, my product, my service, whatever it is. um, We want people to, to like it and we want people to buy it again. But at what point? do you, you know, push it to the point where people need it or people become addicted to it um, or reliant upon it? And that's kind of where you see, 
you know, nowadays and all these Netflix documentaries and people, you know, learning kind of behind the social media, the social dilemma and things like that. Um, This, this line of, all right, we have all this information on people, so we can target them specifically. We can do all these things. Should we? And the answer is no. But I'm finding that a lot of these companies are doing it anyways, you know, like, yeah, how, and and it's not just within you know the pride community it's women it's like I the best was like what was it I was in Total Wine the other day and during like Breast Cancer Awareness Month and they of course the like wine had a pink, on the, oh, the pink wine yeah they're like buy we'll give you twenty percent to Susan G Coma I was like you create Susan G Coma yeah like what are you talking about and it made me so mad but I was like you know what this is like yet again back to the drawing board because a lot of Americans don't know that alcohol even causes cancer yeah so I'm probably about to like yell at this manager who doesn't know what I'm talking about you know <laughs> like and so it's the systematic problem that I think it, it really it runs back to and we are we perpetuate it and we try not to but uh, I love that you know there's that this is I think one of the positives of social media one of the many negatives um is that the, the community that it fosters. And I think, you know, this is where your community comes in and where other communities that you can meet other people who have a similar mindset as you, have similar experience, and you can connect. Whereas, you know, unless you went to like, a, you know, an outpatient treatment or a, a support group of some sort, you wouldn't necessarily get the opportunity to to meet these people. Right, right. Yeah, it's all, it's like, right, there's there's some um, terrible things about social media, but some some good things about social media. I feel like I change my mind about it every day, depending on my mood. <laughs> mm-hmm. Totally. And it, it's, I think it's, it's this, you have to think of it as like a substance, right? Like I'm, yeah. I'm right now, I deactivated my personal account and I still run like the reframe account and, you know, I still, you know, check on the thousand hours dry stuff. But uh, I was like, I noticed, like I had to kind of notice with, you know, my other kind of impulsive or addictive behaviors, you know, I'm not really, I'm not using this in it for a positive behavior. You know, I'm not looking at positive things. I'm creeping on models and I'm, you know, (laughs) kind of going down the rabbit hole. And so I was like, you know, I can't really validate having this right now. I'm going to just go off. And I've been off for like a week now and it feels really good. And I think, you know, it kind of reminds me of when people do like dry July or dry January. And, you know, even if you don't have a social media problem, like it's good for anybody to just pause for a week or a month, you know, yeah. whatever, however long you're comfortable with, because realistically, you can connect with people like you have text messages, you have email, like, so I, I think we, we validate like, well, I can't get a hold of so and so. It's like, yes, you can. Yeah. <laughs> you can. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely absolutely but um so for for you yeah what kind of you know like you said you're six and a half years in you probably don't get cravings very often or you know uh deal with maybe the day-to-day that we did in, in early sobriety so what do you do to kind of balance you know being like a thought leader you know, and, and being a therapist and then also having to obviously deal with your own issues. 
Yeah. I mean, I am a huge believer in therapy. I am mm -hmm. a therapist who goes to therapy and um, it's something that's really important um, for me. I mean, I think it's, it's interesting being in a space where people um, ask me for advice and think that I like have it all figured out. Um, so there's like a weird line where you walk on social media between um, not oversharing because you don't want people to be like worried about you or something. Yeah. Right. But also being authentic and honest. So I try to, as a general rule on social media, Glennon Doyle has this beautiful quote where she says, like, I share from my scars, not from my wounds. Yeah. Um, and that's something that I think really guides me um, because if it's something that I'm actively working on or processing and I might change my mind or not know how I feel, um, it's just not, you know, or someone could use it against me or something. It's just not appropriate, it feels like for me to share. Um, but yeah, I mean, other than that, in terms of I mean, I am a huge, like exercise is one of the most important skills and it could be, I mean, movement yes. is probably a better way to phrase it. For me, it's just like, even if it's just going for a walk, if it's stretching, I like love to stretch. Um, I was like, I was a dancer growing up. So I feel like awesome. that's still stuck to me. Um, I'm on, I take antidepressants. Uh, that is like one of the biggest, most important tools. And yes. I am very open about it because I think there's so much medication shame and it can be such an important tool that can help lots of people. Um, what else do I do? I mean, I cuddle with my pets. I try to set boundaries. Um, I try to really like practice what I preach and, and take breaks. And I'm not great at it all the time, especially when when like your business is growing and things like that, it feels very like you have to catapult and do the next thing. And really the thing that I've been working on lately is like saying no, you know, I'm just like yeah. at the point where I can't say yes to everything. And I've struggled with people pleasing for most of my life and worked through it. But I think what people need to know too is right. Like life will continue to up the ante in some capacity. Mm -hmm. growing and changing, right? Is like you, you know, a lot of times in therapy, people will be like, well, why am I still working on this one thing? And, you know, why am I getting into the same fight with my partner or whatever? And it's like, well, are you, do you not have kids? Like, do you have a new job? Are you doing something else? Right? Like you probably resolved it at the current level you were at, but now life is harder. <laughs> so the same thing might come back, but it's in a different like context. Oh, Yeah. And I like to call my, my like, um, for me, it's like my compulsive habits, my OCD, my panic, and then my romanticization of, you know, I, we call it alcoholism, right? I think sometimes I say that just because, like, with AA, you, yeah. I think of, like, oh, my alcoholism. Um, I call him Frank. <laughs> I love that. So, like, Frank is, and this is something I, I found funny, too, because I learned it from a podcast. Like, you'd think. Because I literally started therapy at like I think it was five, or something. Like been doing, I could probably I could try and be a therapist. I I can't get past this fucking math class that I was taking. Now I've dropped out of college twice, uh, officially. <laughs> um, but it, it's funny that I I learned this like little, uh, you know, tool I guess to kind of put put all that stuff outside of myself because yeah. I get really wrapped up in like 
I'm having a panic attack. I'm, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm having all these compulsive thoughts. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And then I get like discouraged about it and I feel, you know, alienated and like a freak. And, and then I found when I kind of detach, not in like an unhealthy way, but like reminding myself that this is kind of the passenger on my journey and he, you know, is up to no good and really doesn't necessarily have my best interests at heart at all times. And, and sometimes there are, there's always going to be a need for anxiety. Like we can't get rid of it completely. Right. Right. Um, but for the most part, he kind of like just tries to fuck with me. And so <laughs> it's just, it's been like a fun kind of way to like do self, do some self-compassion. Yeah. Um, and then also like when I talk about it with my partner, uh, he'll be like, Oh, you know, it's Frank. We're like being annoying today. Like, <laughs> he he really is, you know, and it, it kind of allows us to like if we're getting in an argument to kind of put it outside ourselves. Like we're mad at Frank because Frank's being like really like right now. Er, earlier we got in a huge argument about what time we were going to go get our oil changed because I'm going through exposure therapy with driving, mm. and for me it's like I had my first panic attack ever in a car. So the association is still kind of burned in my mind, but I've also been in like two very severe car accidents and a motorcycle accident. So like, I really hate cars, but yeah. they're necessary. And so we're literally getting in a massive argument this morning over, well, I wanted to go earlier in the day and he wanted to go later, but he, we both work. So like, you know, we have to find a time that works for us both so we can, so he, I can follow him in my car because um, I'm not comfortable driving myself certain distances yet. And we just kind of had to recognize like, hey, you know, like you started your cognitive behavioral therapy again. I've been diving really deep into my exposure therapy without using the medication. And so I'm very raw. Yeah. And I just kind of had to explain to him, like, I know it feels irrational to you. But to me, like the difference between driving at 11 a.m. and driving at 3 p.m. is like the amount of cars on the road, which, you know, is more people honking at me. It's harder for me to pull over and you know, I was like, I think of a million things and uh, it, it seems irrational from the outside, but inside, like, it's such an internal struggle with with these tiny, seemingly, you know, stupid or, you know, th- thoughtless things, but they're really not when you're, when you're in it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. Um, I love that way of reframing it, whether you give it a name, whether you don't. I think it can be so helpful, whether it's your anxiety, whether it's your, you know, alcohol, eating disorder, whatever. I think um, we can feel really guilty sometimes for our thoughts and then that can cause way more suffering. And if we can externalize it and recognize that you aren't your thoughts, you have thoughts, um, it's a lot easier to work through that. Yeah, I love that. So I feel like I'm curious and I, I think anybody who who knows your you know knows you it, is probably curious how do you kind of separate yourself from your being a public figure you know like like you said right you you have to show up as oh Amanda of you know therapy for women and then people have this expectation of you and that you don't have real problems you know like you're a therapist or you know you're Instagram famous or whatever. So, you know, you're pulling this out of your ass, like not real experience, Um, you know, obviously. Um, How do you kind of, you know, I I feel like I've seen a lot of people get lost 
down the Instagram rabbit hole or like the influencer or, you know, the, the public figure, whatever you want to call it after, because I lived in LA for a long time before yeah. here. Um, how do you kind of ground yourself? Yeah, it's a, it's a funny question because I really don't feel like I am one. I mean, I like, you know, I mean, like, yes, like I have following and stuff like that, but I yeah. really don't feel like I'm an influencer. I really look at social media as it's a way to share things and it's a way that I can provide support to my clients or potentially other people in between therapy sessions or if they can't afford therapy. Like I really think of it as like education and me sharing, wrapping up that education in hopefully a more relatable way by sharing my own insights and wisdom. Yeah. Um, but I really don't consider myself like famous or an influencer or anything like that. Um, I don't want to. Um, that would be so weird for me to feel that mm -hmm. way. Like, I mean, sometimes people will come up to me and recognize me on the street or something like that. But I mean, like, I feel like because I'm a therapist, like it's, you know, I don't maybe I would feel differently if I was a singer or something like that. Like, yeah, people, yeah. you know. People aren't that curious about me. A lot of times what they want, the value is my resources, my tools, what I share with them. Um, so I feel like I'm very grounded just in that, like, I don't really take it that seriously. Yeah. Um, I mean, I also have a group of phenomenal friends who knew me and know me before this ever happened, you know, and like, um, so we like joke about that. And I think just because like, I don't know when you are, when you are on that, you see how like fake it kind of is, you know totally. what I mean? Like you just see yes, how sure. much it's, it's politics and who reach out, who, you know, what, what, where you get featured depends on where, how you get more followers, which then just snowballs things. Like, I think one thing that I've really learned is it's like really in my opinion, I mean, there. I'm not saying people aren't talented because there are amazing people who are really talented. But I'm saying for myself, I think that you can once you're in it, you can see how much of like how much of a game exposure is, and how it's really not always about the best person. Absolutely, a lot of times it's like if you're featured in one article, other people will then want to feature you, and like exposure is kind of like convenience for people sometimes too. Totally. Um, I think I'm more proud of building my business because that feels separate and something I've actually done. Um, but yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. I just don't take it that seriously. I think of it as marketing, um, yes. versus like people love me or something like that. No, no, I get, I get what you're saying. Cause I, I had kind of a similar experience with a thousand hours dry where, yeah you have to not get caught up with it. But two, I know you're, you said you're working right now on like saying no. Yeah. So this is something that I had to really, I'm part of why I like took a step back at, as kind of running a thousand hours dry and letting it do its own like ecosystem is because part of me is a people pleaser. And I imagine you get many, many DMS asking yeah. you for <laughs> lots of resources and Hey, you know, what do I do in this situation or how do I deal with this things that they should be going and sitting in a session with you for, right? Like you're not, right. 
you know, a DM therapist, like that would right. be cool if that was a thing, but it's not. And hey, thanks for the advice. Here's my invoice. Um, you know, <laughs> I think people forget you paid a lot of money and did a lot of work to be a licensed professional who yeah. charges money. So like, you know, it's great that you're, like you said, it's kind of your free resource, right? Like your marketing page is your is your pamphlet, right? Like yep, it, yep. it gives all this good information, but I'm kind of like, I'm a non-believer in this whole like self-healing bullshit movement. Yes, I um, agree. <laughs> you know, it's cool. We can do a lot on our own, but like we need tools. Okay. So like no one's creating like fire out of nothing. Yes. Um, how do you not answer every DM? Like that for me was a big thing was feeling this kind of obligation to answer every direct message like wholeheartedly and I found myself completely emotionally drained because I was like giving all this advice constantly and then being worried like oh is that person gonna drink is this you know I haven't heard from that person like and losing myself towards like all right like I I can't be personally accountable for every person who follows this page yeah I mean, I think there is an, I used to feel that way when my account was smaller, actually. Like, I think there is something weird where when you get big enough, people don't expect you to respond. Um, which is funny because it has this opposite effect where sometimes people will have uh, conversations in my comment section referring to me as like, she means this, she says oh. that, or whatever. <laughs> and sometimes I just want to be like, I can see this. Yeah, but I'm watching. Live. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I think it's easier now that my page is bigger because people don't expect it as much. And I literally could not keep up. Like I get like, you know, like tens of DMs a day, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, like I tried to answer ones that, that I feel connected to if I have the capacity for, but I've just like given up that my DM inbox will ever be zero, you know, and I've just kind of been able to let that go, I guess, because it's just become so big that I just like, can't, it's harder for me when people email me and they get my email in some capacity. Uh, yes, yes. Um, it's harder because it feels like it's just, they, it, they know I can see it kind of, you know, like I love the yeah. DM feature where you can do unread that has been the yeah. best thing that's ever happened to me um, I because then I can look and if it's like paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs, I'm just like, I can't, if it's a quick thing, I can, but it'll let me look at it and then I can just un- unread it. So. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. I'm working on it, but um, yeah, I think it's giving up that people, um, giving up that you're, everyone's going to like you and you're going to be able to do everything for everyone. And I, I, try to think now about how if I say yes to this, what am I saying no to? And is that okay for me to say no to that? Yes. And I think it's a cautionary tale to a lot of people who are listening, who are interested in becoming like sober influencers or, or growing their, you know, online communities, because I, I swear to God every day I see a bunch of new ones, which is so rad. Um, but also, it's that cautionary tale of like, all right, well, be prepared if you're, you know, setting yourself as a resource. Yeah. You know, these there are expectations that come with it and you have to be able to set boundaries because yeah. I know I, I'm I'm in real life friends, ooh, right, with with real sober influencers and we talk about this and that was one thing that some of them asked was like, how did you give like how did you step away from a thousand hours dry and let other people run it? 
And I was like, well, it wasn't easy at first, right? Like anytime you get a social media manager or get some help, get an intern. um, I was like, well, you know, a lot of it you have to actually like work on with, for me, it's like you said, a therapist, like you can afford therapy, you should be doing therapy. Um, And, you know, I... I had to let go of control because I'm a fucking control freak. Um, (laughs) But it's this whole idea, right, that, like you said, I can't nitpick at every single post. Oh, why didn't that get enough likes? Or it didn't get as many shares as this last one? Or is the color blocking okay? And, you know, because at the end of the day, it's fucking social media. It's Instagram. Yeah. Um, And I'm I'm reminded of that when I delete it for a week. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm not (laughs) on there anymore. Like, my life goes on. Yeah. and not to get caught up in that because I love, I think Lucas um, from Dry in Paradise posted this meme and it was like that that guy in the corner at the party was like, nobody knows I'm semi-pop, semi-famous like on Instagram. And he was like alone in the party, like drinking in, in the corner. And I was like, oh my God, that's so true. Like, yes. you got to have a real life. Like, yeah, definitely, definitely. Because we also don't, I mean, social media changes, right? Like TikTok is now a huge thing. Like other social media changes, like you don't own that, like TikTok, you don't own your social media followers. Like it's not proprietary. Social media could go away. So Mm -hmm. I'm a huge believer in, yeah, creating a life, creating if possible, like whether that's getting an email list, uh, doing some, like doing things outside of social media too. Well, yeah. And it's like you said, right? You're you've built a toolkit, which is like movement, support outside of online, you know, seeing your own therapist. Uh, I think people in this community kind of call it the sober toolkit, right? But I think it's yeah. just a well- wellness in general toolkit, yeah. whatever, whatever, you know, however you want to label it. Um, but it's important not to just have like the one watering hole. Like don't, yes. don't be reliant on only the Instagram community or only your AA meetings. I think that's when people get caught up. And then if something like COVID happened, right? I had a lot of people I knew that went out and relapsed because they were super dependent on going to meetings and that was taken away and they had no idea what the fuck to do. Yeah, absolutely. And we don't wanna be in that situation. (laughs) Definitely, definitely. Well, thank you so much, Kayla, for having me. This was such a great conversation. Of course. So the way I like to wrap it up is by asking you if you could give yourself six and a half years ago or somebody who is sober curious or right at the beginning of their journey, one piece of advice, what would that be? I would say to them and myself, you are not what you've done and you Mm. can change. I love that. Well, Thank you so much for being with us today, Amanda. I will make sure that I put your Instagram and um, your contact information in the description details in case anybody wants to reach out or follow you um, and connect. Awesome. Thanks so much, Kayla. All right. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. Thank you all for tuning into The Dry Life, a podcast for the sober and sober curious presented by Reframe. My name is Beth and my co-host Kayla and I drop a new podcast every Thursday. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode.